Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for another one of our bonus episodes. Uh, today, we're doing our franchise focus for the Detroit Pistons, uh, one of the long-storied franchises in NBA history, much older than people might think. Um, for our franchise focus, we do it in three segments. Firstly, we talk about the current team's direction and outlook uh, going forward. We then talk about a historic team from that franchise's history. And finally, we talk about uh, a notable or legendary player from that franchise's history. Um, again, we're talking about the Pistons. People don't realize, or many people don't realize, that the Pistons have roots uh, dating far back to, you know, well before the beginning of the uh, NBA uh, in the BAA and even before that in the um it wouldn't have been the NBL. It would have. It was a different league. But they they started in the uh, the 1930s, of course, in Fort Wayne as the Fort Wayne uh, Zollners, named after I think it was Fred Zollner was the uh, the owner. And but then they later changed uh, to the Fort Wayne Zollner Pistons. He was a, a manufacturer of automotive pistons. Then the Fort Wayne Pistons, and they played in Fort Wayne as recently as 1957 which is when they moved to Detroit to become the Pistons, and that is where they have been ever since. Um, interestingly enough, for their storied history, they've had a, a long history of uh, some struggling teams, but with that, they've also had some of the most dominant teams in NBA history and some dominant stretches. Uh, so we've got a lot to talk about with the Pistons, but of course we're starting with the modern Pistons, the last four or five years, the present-day Detroit Pistons, the team's direction and outlook. And um, they, it's an interesting outlook. Of course, they're a rebuilding team, much like the the Pacers and the Jazz, but even more so than those teams. This is a team truly looking to get top-tier talent, drafting in the first few picks of the NBA draft, looking to build a team with a lot of young prospects. Um, of course, they did. They started this in 2021. They finished 20-52. and 52 earned the right to the number one pick and selected Cade Cunningham, who had a pretty solid rookie season. Um, not quite rookie of the year, but pretty good. He was in the mix of that conversation. Uh, after that season, they drafted fourth overall, and they drafted Jaden Ivey, uh, who was another potential uh, prospect at the guard position. Ivey and Cunningham, kind of, they're trying to you know build their backcourt of the future. This season so far, uh, excuse me, they also drafted Jalen Duran uh, pretty high in that draft, uh, a center prospect. Um, this season so far, they lost Cade Cunningham early due to injury, which is unfortunate. Jaden Ivey has shown, shown some flashes of some potential, but he's been very raw. And uh, Jalen Duran has been similar in a lot of aspects to Jaden Ivey in that respect. Uh, so far, they're on pace to finish below their record uh, either of the past three seasons or out of any of the past three seasons. They're on pace to finish below <clears throat> 20 wins, uh, which is not stellar. And this is their fifth season under head coach Dwayne Casey. Uh, and they've been getting sort of worse and worse record-wise uh, with him there. Um, that's, I guess, where we'll start as far as the, the modern Pistons. I anticipate... Dwayne Casey is probably going to be out the door pretty soon. And it's not necessarily any fault of his own. He's been a good coach in his NBA history. Of course, he coached the Toronto Raptors in their uh, emergence as a true Eastern Conference uh, threat. You know, coached them from 2011 to uh, 2018. And from that stretch, they went from a, you know, 
well below average Eastern Conference club to a true contender in the East. He was a real, you know, cog in that machine, and he deserves credit for that. He joined Detroit in 2018. He was the coach of the year in 2018 for the Raptors and then was fired that same offseason, which is one of the unique times that that's happened. Not the first, but one of the unique times that's happened. <clears throat> he then joined Detroit that very next season. They went 41 and 41, slipped into the playoffs with Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond, lost in the first round to the Bucks. Uh, they traded away both, they traded away Andre Drummond. A little bit later, they traded away Blake Griffin, and that has led to this current true rebuilding era. And again, I anticipate he's probably going to be moving on either of his own volition or the front office will decide to move on. Not really any fault of his own, but he's getting older and they they probably just want to change. You know, they want to start fresh with some sort of a new head coach. Really no fault of Dwayne Casey's, but that's just kind of what I think will happen. So that's where it starts for this modern Pistons building project. Next, it's the development, of course, of uh, Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey, two very young, very raw guard prospects who have shown flashes. Um, but also, I feel like they need to start making positive moves towards more winning type of culture in basketball. You know, there's... Plenty of, you know, willingness, not willingness, but uh, value. And it's understandable to take time to not really focus on the competitiveness and focus on the chance and the development of younger talent, which is valid. And that's, you know, certainly been a big factor this season. But that young talent also needs a chance to be competitive and push for you know, more meaningful types of wins and types of seasons as far as even something as little as a play-in type berth. I think that can be huge in the development of some of these younger guys. So I think that's a next big step for the Pistons is, you know, maybe they change the head coach, but whether or not they do, they push for play-in type of contention to really help the younger talent grow, especially Cunningham, Ivy, along with um, Jalen Duran, who I'm really high on. Uh, James Wiseman, the recent trade acquisition, give him a chance to maybe show some some flashes of potential as well. He's still very young. Um, Isaiah Stewart, he's been productive. What maybe maybe what more can he do for this team? Killian Hayes is as a guard as well. They have a wealth of younger talent that needs that opportunity to play meaningful basketball and grow under that light, along with more opportunities, more experience in the NBA as a whole. That's kind of what I see. Along with that, Boyan Bogdanovich, he's been, you know, their best player this season. Um, I don't think it's tough to argue that. 21 points a game, three, four rebounds, two and a half assists, uh, great shooting percentages. I love Bogey. He's a great player. Um, he's older, though, and he's not going to fit this team's timeline, and so he's probably a likely candidate within the next year or two to, to move on, go to a team where he probably becomes um, more just a – a starter quality player or a really great reserve on more of a competitive playoff type team um, and not so much a leading player for a, a team that's struggling. So he probably doesn't fit their timeline. And that leads into the other question roster wise is forward help kind of similar to the Pacers. You know, the guards have some potential, the centers, the bigs have some potential, but their forwards could use some help as far as getting that, you know, 
next piece. And it's it's odd because Sadiq Bey, I thought, was a p- part of their future as well. But then he was suddenly traded to Atlanta um, as part of that James Wiseman deal. Again, maybe they like Wiseman enough to want to give him a shot over Sadiq Bey. Um, it's interesting. But again, the forwards, I think, are a big question for Detroit. So it, it's pretty standard, you know, rebuilding team stuff. They, I just think they need to start making that push towards being a little bit more competitive, giving their young talent a chance to play in some higher stakes games and seasons uh, to really help them flourish, not just get a little better every season. Um, so that's like my kind of outlook as a, if you're a Pistons fan, I think you're, you're okay. I mean, obviously you don't like that they're struggling so much this season. They've lost a lot of games. Um, but if you're looking towards the future, you probably feel okay as far as, you know, some young guards and and there's some potential there. So overall there's just some questions but it's a normal kind of rebuilding team trying to figure things out type of questions um people you know think of this detroit pistons franchise especially over the last 20 years they seem to think that ever since that 04 title that they really haven't done much of anything which parts of that if you take you know 2010 through 2016 there's some aspects of that that are true you know they've struggled more often than not they've made the playoffs a handful of times since 2010 uh losing in the first round so there's some parts of that that i can sympathize with but people forget that from 2001 to 2009 the pistons were consistently in the playoffs and um in seven of those eight seasons they were winning 50 plus games um they were a truly dominant team in the Eastern Conference and a contender for a long time, not just 04 and 05 when they made the finals. They were contenders through 06, 07, and 08. And I want to talk about that 06 team, 2005, 2006 Detroit Pistons, which still holds the franchise record for wins in a season, 64 wins with their new head coach at the time, Flip Saunders. Um, a great team, man. I mean, again, 64 and 18 is nothing to see that normally, you know, a, a consistent high bar in your more standard type of season for a really great season is like 62 wins, 63 and up is when you're starting to get into truly dominant regular season runs. And these Pistons fall into that. The 06 Pistons, 64 and 18 first in the East easily. I'm sure we can double check that, but I'm pretty sure. Yes. First in the East ahead of the Miami heat, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. And they go as far as the conference finals. They lose in six games to the Miami Heat with Shaq and Dwayne Wade. Very competitive series. Um, But this is a great team. It starts, of course, with their four All-Stars. This is one of the few teams in NBA history to have four All-Stars from their team uh, in one season. Those were Chauncey Billups, Richard Hamilton, Rip Hamilton, if you want, Ben Wallace, and Rasheed Wallace. Of course, the Wallaces, not related, but, uh, you know, very close in that front court. Uh, truly impeccable, not impeccable, but um, intimidating and forceful front court, defensive front court. Uh, and this whole team, of course, predicated on defense. Shades of the bad boy Pistons, not truly the bad boy Pistons, but it's they weren't the same. You know, you think of the the bad boys Pistons in the very late eighties and the early nineties, they were defensive team. They were defensive focused, but they were also intimidators. 
and they had a nasty edge to their game. Um, but this team was stout defensively and kind of under the radar. They weren't always very loud. I mean, Rashid Wallace maybe at points, um, but a lot of the other guys were, you know, guys that had been discounted by other teams. Rip Hamilton was formerly a, a member of the Washington Wizards. Chauncey Billups had bounced around the league before landing in Detroit. Ben Wallace had been with a couple teams. Uh, and Rasheed Wallace himself had been with the Trailblazers before this team. So these were kind of cast-offs from other franchises in some senses that came together and formed their own tremendous squad uh, without a real true superstar. I mean, Chauncey Billups was the MVP of that, that finals team, um, but he was... Th- at his best, he was, you know, second or third best kind of guard in that Eastern Conference. Um, but he was truly a phenomenal player, and this was a phenomenal team. Again, Chauncey Billups at the point guard, uh, 18 points, eight and a half assists. He's a scorer and a distributor, pretty evenly, good shooter, and a clutch player. You have Rip Hamilton starting alongside him, the leading scorer for this team, 20 points a game, three rebounds, three and a half assists. Great shooter, 45% from nearly 46% from three this season. Uh, good, you know, from the floor, free throw, good shooter, but a solid defender as well, as was Chauncey Billups. Tayshawn Prince, the glue guy of this lineup, 14 points a game, four rebounds, ultra long, lanky, great defensively um, as well. All of these guys were great defensively in this starting lineup. Uh, really filled those gaps. Rashid Wallace. Uh, your kind of third score, um, a stretch four for his era, 35, 36% from three, 15 points a game, seven rebounds, two assists, uh, one and a half blocks, one steal, very good forward. And Ben Wallace, the center, the undersized, incredible center, only seven points a game, of course, but 11 rebounds this season, two and a half blocks, uh, 1.8 steals. Uh, one of the best defensive players in NBA history, and now a Hall of Famer justifiably. Um, So that starting lineup, incredible. And the collection of them, those five, collectively missed five games all season. That's the kind of run that we're. I don't think we're ever going to see anything like that in the modern NBA. All five of your starters missing five games total in the regular season is unbelievable. And they didn't miss a single game in the playoffs together. That was a big part of their success, I think. But their bench was also solid, too. It starts with Antonio McDice, a former one-time All-Star himself with the Denver Nuggets. He was an up-and-coming star with Denver and Phoenix, had some knee problems, and then was relegated to a really great backup, especially on these Detroit teams that were so good in the 2000s. Um, Off the bench, about eight points, five rebounds, can play power forward or center, maybe even small forward if you want to run a a not great shooting lineup, but a really big lineup. Uh, But McDice, great sixth man for this type of a team. Tony Delk was assigning this season, and he was a solid guard, kind of an underrated guard. Not always stellar, but just very good, you know, pretty good off the bench. Uh, Good shooter, 46%, excuse me, 42% from three this season, uh, about eight points a game. Maurice Evans coming off the bench. He was a a shooting guard that gets kind of forgotten, uh, but he was a decent player. Amir Johnson, very young Amir Johnson. This was his rookie season, technically playing a small forward, although he'd be more of a power forward going forward. And that was the the 
main part of their depth was those guys. You had some veteran presence like Lindsey Hunter, you know, longtime Piston, uh, a champion with that 04 squad as well. Carlos Delfino, a young guy. Uh, Kelvin Cato, a, re uh, a trade acquisition that season, who was another inside presence uh, as a center. Dale Davis, a longtime player uh, with more inside presence. And Jason Maxiel, a rookie with, again, more inside presence. They had some good depth for that front court. They had some guards. They had some scoring. But their starting lineup was incredible, averaging, you know, each player averaging about 35 minutes a game. And so those were going to dominate the games. You got some guys for some spot minutes. McDyce, the six man, and that led to a lot of success. And I just want to recognize that because, again, we think of this the Pistons as this lackluster team over the last while, but we forget how long they were really dominant in the Eastern Conference and they were truly a great team just because they only won one championship. But they were in contention from 03 to, you know, 08, truly in contention every one of those years, I would say, especially in that Eastern Conference. Um you know, they lose to the Heat, they lose to Shaq, um, but still a great team uh, and just wanted to recognize what they were able to do. When we talk about our uh, notable player, I decided to go with one of the best players in franchise history this time and a player who gets forgotten in the mix of great center talent, especially in the 1970s. There was a wealth of great centers in the NBA. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, of course, was the greatest in the 70s. You had the tail end of the careers of... Wilt Chamberlain, uh, Bill Russell retired before the 70s, but um, Willis Reed had some of his best years in the 70s. That was kind of the back half of his career. Uh, you have Bob McAdoo, who was such a unique player at the center position. Um, and Moses Malone, towards the end of the 70s, really emerging as the league's best center for a long time. And there's a lot of tremendous center talent in that mix, but we forget about one of the most steady and best despite some of the things he had to overcome and despite his team. And that's Bob Lanier of the seventies, uh, Detroit Pistons and later on the Milwaukee Bucks. He played for uh, 15 seasons in the NBA. And especially with some of the knowledge I've gotten about Bob Lanier as a person and as a player, that was an incredible feat to be able to play 15 seasons. Um, his life, he started, uh, he was in Buffalo, New York. That was where he was born and raised. And um, his first efforts trying to play basketball, he was kind of not shunned, but uh, kind of shut down, not really given an opportunity. Um, he had good size, but was rec regarded as clumsy by some coaches. Didn't really get much of an opportunity. But during his junior year, uh, this is kind of from, Wikipedia is a little bit of my source, but uh, his the new head coach, who was also one of his teachers, said that he should give it another chance, and he really wanted to give him a true opportunity. And junior and senior year, he had the chance to play, be a star in Buffalo, and win uh, two uh, consecutive Buffalo City titles. So he had a chance to play, and hey, what do you know? He's actually a great player. Uh, uh, in his high school career, he gets recruited by a ton of universities. I'm sure all the heavy hitters, you know, your North Carolinas, your Dukes, uh, there's no really list here, but it's probably your best, you know, college programs in the, in the, in the U S at that time, he ends up going with St. Bonaventure, 
which may seem like an odd pick, but it turns out that the head coach there, Larry Weiss, had a recruiting advantage. It was only about an hour and a half away from uh, Buffalo, and the pitch was, hey, your parents can watch you play here every game, and they did that because he uh, ended up signing with St. Bonaventure. Um, in his college career, he was a phenomenal player, of course, consecutive All-American appearances, and even had a run in the the final up to the final four in the NCAA tournament in 1970, his senior year. Um, they lost in the final four game to Jacksonville University, another kind of unsung team with a future Hall of Fame center, that one being Artis Gilmore. Um, but a great run. His NBA future was locked in. The only problem is he had knee troubles. He got hurt in that game. Um, it, uh, yes, it was in that game. No, he was injured before that game, excuse me, in the regional championship against Villanova. Uh, couldn't play in the final four game, uh, and it led to a prolonged struggle with knee injuries throughout his career. And that's why I say it's incredible that he is able to play 15 seasons because even in his rookie year, he was dealing with knee troubles. Here's I'll, I'll read this direct from this Wikipedia post, which I'm sure, sure comes from some other source. Um, but it talks about Lanier reported to Pistons training camp, limping in significant pain and overweight from his long period of inactivity following uh, one of his many knee surgeries. He played while still recovering, and was named to the 1971 All-Rookie Team after averaging 15.6 points and 8.1 rebounds uh, for the the Pistons, who had a winning record that season, uh, 24 minutes a game under uh, coach Butch Van Bredikoff. Um, there's a quote here from Lanier. I wasn't healthy when I got to the league. Lanier reflected, I should have, shouldn't have played my first year, but there was so much pressure for them to, uh, from them to play. I would have been so much better off and our team would have been much better served if I had just sat out that year and worked on my knee. My knee was so sore every single day that it was ludicrous to be doing what I was doing. Um, Lanier rehabilitated his knee with the help of coach Van Bredikoff, who had Lanier stay at his beachfront house for two and a half weeks to run in the sand and strengthen his knee and legs. Um, so that's a, a great direct quote. And again, that impacted a lot of his, um, you know, career along with the kind of mismanagement of the Detroit Pistons at that time. Uh, the best team that he was on, he talks about the 1973-74 Pistons being the best team he was on. They had a record of 52-30, and 30, third in the Midwest. Uh, they were in the Western Conference at that time. They lost in the conference semis to the Chicago Bulls. Um, but they had a decent mix. They had Dave Bing, uh, a future Hall of Famer himself. Uh, you know, Don Adams and Curtis Rowe, decent forwards filling that out. Kurt, uh, Chris Ford, a future champion himself with the Celtics. You know, okay, okay depth. And he felt like, okay, maybe we've got something going here as a team. In the following season, they trade a bunch of those guys as part of that rotation and uh, kind of messed up their momentum. He had a number of head coaches in his career, uh, Ray Scott, Hubie, Hubie Brown, what, no, Herb Brown, excuse me, Ray Scott, Herb Brown, uh, Bob Kaufman, Dick Vitale, Richie Adubato, uh, Scotty Robertson. So ho head coaching changes, roster movement, tinkering when it wasn't necessary, didn't really have a chance to have a great team, and his knee injuries predicated his whole career. 
And despite both of those things and any number of other things, he had a run from 1970, 1972 season to the 1979 season where he was an all-star uh, seven of those eight seasons, averaged 24 points a game, 12 and a half rebounds, two blocks per game, and 1.2 steals. One of the underrated centers of all time, especially with his height, 6'11", 250, solid, good size, but compared to Kareem's 7'1", 7'2", frame, and some of the other giants of the NBA, um, he wasn't always super massive, but he was still an incredible player uh, for that era. Later on, he would be traded midseason in 1980 to the Milwaukee Bucks, where he had a chance to really be a contributor on some new winning teams. Those were the early years of the, um, you know, Don Nelson Milwaukee Bucks uh, coach squads that would become powerhouses in the East themselves. Uh, you know, 1980 through uh, 1984, those four and a half seasons that he played in Milwaukee, they were consistently about a 600 or above club playoffs every year, conference finals the last two years. And although he wasn't the same player, the knee injuries really affecting him at this point. He was diminishing his play. He was still productive, still a veteran leader on that team. And he fought, you know, to play as much basketball as he could. So truly one of the all-time greats, underappreciated. And we got to recognize what he's able to do, especially for a Pistons club. Can you imagine – you know, this club that barely squeaked into the playoffs for a few years with him on that roster, what they would have done without him, how kind of abysmal those teams could have been. Um, just a phenomenal player and truly one of the all-time greats in Detroit Pistons history, a long and storied history, uh, I'll add to that. That being said, that takes care of our franchise focus for the uh, Detroit Pistons. We want to thank you all for listening. Um Next time you hear from us, we'll most likely be on our, uh, you know, normal weekday show when we're back here on Monday uh, for week 22. But uh, thank you again for listening, and we'll be back with you very soon.